di jem ngir digante bi du dem sheri wayon sam bayile mak mom li du don sey tay bekil dena ci ñom ki yan matar il sale bul fale bul gesso te bulen fale balu tay kon matar far ci mom ki ya bo balu fale podcast listeners and welcome back to another episode. Uh, this is season three, episode number three. And today we're going to be talking about rest, which is very relevant because that's exactly what Adam and I have been doing for the past three months. A much needed break where we got to reset, recalibrate all of those good things. And so we wanted to come today and talk about why we took that break, why it was needed, and just rest in general, what it means for our community, for our society today, for our generation. So we're going to talk about rest um, around several different angles. But before we get to that, we're going to start off with our devil's advocate. This is the section where we take a position on a topic and argue it to the death. Not literally, but (laughs) you get the point. So today, Adam, the question that I have for you is if your best friend invites you to a birthday dinner or vacation and you can't afford it, should you go? Yes or no, and why? No, because I cannot afford it. And I don't want to go to the birthday dinner and then get the bill and then have problems paying it or then have my friend who is the birthday girl or birthday guy or birthday person pay my bill on their birthday. So all of that can be avoided and communicated at the very beginning instead of me dressing all nice. And it's not just the birthday dinner. If I can't afford the birthday dinner, I'm most likely unable to afford getting ready for the birthday dinner um, or vacation. Is that what you said? Dinner or vacation? Vacation yeah, is even more money involved because it's a vacation. So I would say I would kindly decline and explain my financial situation. And if our friendship breaks because of it, so be it. Okay, your turn. So we're talking about your best friend here, and I'm just going to assume, I'm going to make some assumptions, and they may be poorly judged, but I'm assuming your best friend will give you advance notice. Um, If it's a birthday, you know when their birthday is, so you can kind of prepare for it if you know they're going to have a dinner or vacation. And if it's a vacation, then they're probably going to announce it to you, and you're likely part of the planning. So I say... If they invite you and you guys have that close relationship, you should definitely do your best to go because the money that you're spending for the birthday dinner or for the vacation is not worth the years of relationship that you guys have and damaging that. So I definitely think that if you get the invitation, you should make all and every attempt to go and just foot the bill. But where will the money come from? You cannot afford it. Are you where are you going to pull the money from? Are you going to go get some like get some debt in this like economy where inflation is high and the interest rates going to kill you? Like are you going to get more debt? Yeah, maybe maybe apply for a yeah, credit but then, card. And, will and your best friend pay the interest <laughs> that you have to pay every month? No, she's going to pay it in love and and friendship. <laughs> nope, so I wouldn't I'm not willing to take that financial risk. If I can't afford it, that means that there are other priorities that are before it that I have to satisfying if that person is my so-called best friend they should understand that it's not a personal thing that i'm not doing it because i don't like them or respect them 
And if it's just me, they can probably still have that birthday dinner and we'll find a situation since they're my best friend that we can do together in which we both feel comfortable. But sometimes I feel like people tell you they can't afford something when in reality they can. They just choose. That's not, not what we're debating. I don't know. That's asking. not what we're debating. We're debating that we, I actually cannot afford it. Now you're changing the, the scenario of the debate because you're running out of arguments. <laughs> I am running out of arguments, and I'm glad that you know that because I completely disagree with the fact that you should go if you can't afford it. And I know normally for these sections we have a timer, um, but I'm glad that today we didn't have that time. I don't think I would have been able to sustain five minutes of that ridiculous argument I was trying to make. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, Adam. If you can't afford it, then the answer is to respectfully decline. And I think this is the because I saw this somewhere on Instagram. I think that's why we chose to do it. And then it was just very interesting, the types of comments that people were saying. And maybe it's because we are a bit older than the younger folks who are engaging in this discussion. But for me, I think that it's very important for friends or people who you love to be very mindful of the situations that they put you in. Um, and And to understand that just because so you did something for someone doesn't mean you're going to get that same, you know, uh, action. Because lots of folks would argue, well, I went to your birthday dinner. How come you're not coming to mine? Maybe you can afford to come to it. Maybe the circumstances of that dinner are different than the circumstances that you're putting your friend to. If like your friend is like, oh, everyone, let's go to this place. And then everyone has to spend $20 at the birthday dinner. But then you're expecting them to spend $1,000 to go to Turks and Caicos. That's not an equal comparison. Or maybe perhaps at that birthday dinner, everyone had a job. But then now at your birthday, your friend got laid off. See, circumstances change. Or maybe your friend had a death in the family or something that is, you know, affecting their capacity to go. And I think that in friendships, there should be a level of understanding and expectations. And just being, you know, what's the word? Empathy. Just having empathy <laughs> for your so-called friend. So it was, uh-huh. I think the word is uh-huh. reasonable. <laughs> I think people just need to be reasonable. Um, and especially in adult friendships, there's no way you can expect people to be at your beck and call. Um, so I, I, I like when you have a friendship that is mature enough to withstand certain things like that and not equating our friendship to one event or one d- decline that I've given you to mean that I don't care for you or I don't value our friendship. And so one thing, actually, since this is kind of, we're talking from the Senegalese American perspective, one thing I wanted to bring up as you were talking, it came to my mind, is in our culture, we don't always have advanced notice of things. Like uh, birthdays are different, but like, for example, weddings and baby showers, our baby showers are after the baby's born, one week after. And so because we have kind of a secretive society or secretive culture where you keep certain information close to your chest to the people that are closest to you and you may not tell all friends, let's say you give birth and the baptism is seven days from that. So you're telling people with seven days notice and that's assuming you tell them right away. But let's say you give them just a couple of days notice and you expect them to travel or something like that. And so I think it's just taking into account the different scenarios and the restrictions that people may be facing when it comes to showing up for you. And then understanding that showing up for you can look different. It doesn't just have to be physical. I agree. I didn't even think about that. That last minute stuff. 
And if you look at our parents, they were able to do that because the cost of like a niente and the cost of a wedding was different. But here, friends be like in California and you're in New York, so now you got to get a plane ticket. Nobody like stays in people's houses anymore, so now you got to get, you know, a hotel. You got to get your clothes made. God forbid you don't got nothing to wear. If you want to pay the transport of your clothes from Senegal here, it's like there's a lot of stress involved. So then when people decline, and if someone that's close to you, just communicate like, hey, I cannot do this right now, but I can be for you in another way that, you know, where I don't exert myself. So um, I think some people are like, what does this topic have to do with rest? I think we talk a lot about physical rest, but we never really talk much about emotional rest um, and other forms of like non-visible rest. Um, And this, I think is highly related to this topic. Sometimes you have to say no to things to rest so that you don't exert yourself financially, physically, mentally, socially, spiritually. So I think this scenario is a good example of what we're about to um, delve into soon. But before that, we have another segment, current events. We haven't talked to y'all in a while, so there's a lot of things that's happened since we last made an episode. But this is what like what's going on like now that we are aware of in the Senegalese American diaspora and in Senegal. So Ida, you can start. You probably know more about what's going on than I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually wanted to put in a plug here for our listeners. If you um if you know of a current topic, I know sometimes what we talk about is very much like in Senegal, but in the diaspora, if you know something that's going on that you think we should highlight, please feel free to reach out to our Instagram page and, and let us know so we can feature it on an episode. I think that's a really good way to incorporate things that we may not be aware of that are not strictly uh, about what's going on in Senegal. So our Instagram is Joko Podcast underscore underscore. So just a little plug there for our listeners if they'd like to get involved and share something that may be going on. Um, But with that said, we're going to jump into a hot topic that's been going on this week. And it is the beef (laughs) between Omaru and Sidijo. So if you're not aware of who those people are, bless you, you are saving yourself a lot of headache. (laughs) Um, But for those, well, I guess just a little recap on on that situation. So CD Jope is a singer, a rising singer in Senegal, and Omaro is someone who was kind of like a mentor to him, I want to say. Um, he called him like Per, which is father. So I guess he kind of had that kind of relationship with him. And he was helping him with his music career, introduced him to the current label that he's at. And they're having some beef where Omaro came out and said that CD Jope is a traitor and he isn't... Um, he doesn't, I guess, hold up his end of the bargain when you guys are working together. He was having side deals from the label and hiding it from them. And then there was a little blurb in there about women as well. CD Joe ruining his reputation around women and saying that he's the one supporting him. So a bunch of drama. But all that to say, yeah, that that has been the hot topic this week. Um, every time I open YouTube, I'm seeing someone new coming out and commenting on it. And a lot of people are affirming that CD Job is, in fact, a traitor. So what do you think about that, Adam? I think that he did everything that he's being blamed for. He did 100% did it. But I don't think that Omoro is honest. and Not honest, but um, innocent. 
So when he like in the he had a whole like interview which I watched because I like the drama. But like in the interview he was talking about how the record companies typically take like sixty percent of um artist revenue, but his record company, um, because they're nice, take forty percent. I was like, that's still a lot. So there's theft that's being happening at both sides. Um the music business in Senegal, showbiz, or whatever they call showbiz, is also pretty shady. So I was just like, this did not need to be on our screen. You guys could have, you know, resolved this personal issue by yourself. But this relates to the bus culture topic that we talked about in episode two. How it's hard to believe sometimes some of this beef. Like, are they doing this so that we can listen to more of his music? Or so that we can, you know so that they're more relevant because there was an argument that happened i think a couple of was it last year between them and wally sec too and now they're best friends so i don't take nobody seriously anymore yeah i agree i i don't um when i first listened to omaro's interview i just thought that he was so full of it it sounded like he was just speaking about his personal interests and how he got betrayed. At first he was saying it like, oh, I, as a favor, I took him to the label and introduced him to them and they came up with a contract. But then as he was talking, you can kind of tell he it was a lot more than that where I, he probably invested in it as well or he mentioned other investments that he had that he put on the back burner to support CD. So he felt like because he made all those sacrifices and you know made enemies, made a lot of enemies on behalf of CD or because of CD that he felt like, I guess CD was indebted to him. But I think Senegal, sometimes they just don't understand that business is business and they have to take the emotion out of it a little bit. I don't condone being a traitor or not being thankful for the people who helped you get to where you are. I think that's wrong. But at the same time, I know that Senegalese people have a tendency to say like, I made you. And that thus you are forever indebted to me. And I think that's kind of just unfair to say, tell someone, oh, if we're working together, even if the arrangement is no, no longer beneficial to you, you're supposed to stay with me because of words like kolere. Like we just have history. So you shouldn't be able to step away from the arrangement that we have, even if it's not working out for you. Mm-hmm. So it just sounds like a bunch of people coming out from the woodworks and they're not happy that he made selfish exactly. decisions and... That's what what we're. That's basically what we're dealing with right now. They don't like that CD is a person of interest, and he only worries about himself. <laughs> yep, just waiting for the next song where he explains mm-hmm. what what's going on because he don't speak. He just makes music. Um, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's so shady. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think also another topic um, that's but I've been seeing a lot more in the news, and I don't know if this is like been happening, and maybe it's because of social media that it's much more rampant. Is like the thefts, like people getting caught on camera stealing things, or like stealing children, or like yeah, it's crazy. Like every day you see something else that's happening, um, which I guess makes sense, and because whenever there's times of financial insecurity. Do you see things like that even here in the States? Um, so make watching those videos, I was just telling my dad, I'm like, you need to get cameras because of what's going on. And we, you also need to get security 
because of what's going on. So people in the diaspora too are also high alert because we tend to be targets when we get back home. Um, I remember, I don't know if this was last year or two years ago, there was a kid, I don't know if he came from the States, but he came from somewhere. He was stabbed in Seneca. Do you remember that story? I think I vaguely He got into an altercation with somebody and he got stabbed and killed. So then Mm -hmm. all of these things is just putting people on high alert. Um... It's also during the time of election, so sometimes you don't know what to believe. You don't know if the violence and crime is actually real, or people are just showing this stuff to, you know, to for a political agenda. So it's just, and even here in the states too. So like we hearing, we get it both sides. Like you don't feel safe in Senegal, but you also, I really don't feel safe in the U.S. with all the gun violence that's been going on and the gun legislation. So oh, yeah, <laughs> or what? I said or lack thereof. Or lack thereof, yep. Yeah, definitely um, a rise in violence across the world, it seems like. And to your point, I don't know if because we're seeing more of it with social media, but it definitely feels like we're all on edge and you never know when something is going to go down. Like a simple trip to the grocery store or to the movies or the mall can turn so tragic and so quickly. And the sad part about it is you don't know. Um there's no foresight to when those things are going to happen, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So just praying that everyone stays safe and yep. be cautious. Um, there's a podcast episode that I listen to and their motto is like, be weird, be rude, stay alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're out there, especially by yourself, just take the extra precautions to make sure that you're doing your best to protect yourself and not putting yourself at risk. Mm-hmm. And that still doesn't guarantee that you're going to be okay, unfortunately. So yeah. I guess just prayers all around for everyone. Period. And as mm-hmm. people go to Senegal for a vacation in the summertime, some of us go in the winter time. just be natural too. It's like, what I see is that when folks go back home, they make a, they do a very um, good job of just doing the most. <laughs> like, you know, we come with privilege. Of course, we come um, being able to go to the expensive restaurants in Dakar, being able to dress a certain way, um, be able to drive certain cars. But in a country where there's a high level of um, economic inequality, and this is not just true for Senegal, it's true for a lot of places, it's just like there's a way of moving around. And I don't know how to explain it, but there's a way of moving around that you just have to be mindful of that maybe you don't have to be mindful of in in um the the states. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense, but like it makes sense. It's not, it I'm not saying sense. like you know completely change how you dress, how you walk, how you act, but like there's just things that are just like unnecessary to do, like wearing a like a diamond encrusted Cuban link. Or, like, driving a, like, Mercedes GLE. It makes sense because the the sad part about it is when we go, it's because we want to go on vacation and have fun and wear the clothes that we don't have a chance to wear here and mm-hmm. have the experiences that we don't have a chance to experience here. But it's almost a double-edged sword because yeah. that you stand out. You stick out like a sore thumb. and people. Yeah, because you want to do that here, even, like, here in the States. There are certain places where you're not going to be wearing your yeah. your diamonds, your gold, or, like, unfortunately, because for you, it's a safety risk or mm-hmm. because it just doesn't make sense because you're going to stick out. 
So yeah. you want to like blend in to the best of your ability. Like there's no need for for that because at the, at that point is like you're driving something, you're wearing something that the community that you're in you will definitely stick out as a sore thumb and bring attention to yourselves. And that's not every community in Senegal. You might be able to fit in in certain communities, of course, but there's no vibes over there. You're you're just like literally living with the rich folks, doing rich folks things. I don't know. But like, I feel like wherever you go, when you travel to get the best experience, you try your hardest not to stick out to get the best local experience. Yep. I completely agree. That's just a safety rule in general. Mm-hmm. We are deviating from the topic once again. <laughs> so <laughs> bring it back. You mentioned like the lack of diaspora, like news, current events. There are some things that I've been seeing on my like Instagram timeline that are pretty cool that people here in the States are doing. Mm-hmm. Like there is Amicole, of course, you know, the Senegalese owned beauty brand. I have some mm-hmm. of her, um, the tint, the skin tint. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lip oil, which is amazing. There's also Dibi Rapid, which I think yeah. is in Texas. I'm not it in is. Texas. I don't know why. I follow the page because the food looks good. <laughs> but yes. if, I, if y'all in Texas, go get a plate. And then what's another thing? Of course, Chef Sitting, who was on this podcast, he's doing a lot of cool stuff in, in New Orleans. Is, yeah. And a lot There's of a like, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, too, mm-hmm. like Jada Blue. Um, I, I see a lot of Senegalese-owned brands mm-hmm. that we should definitely try to support wherever possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we, we start incorporating that into the current events. I know we like yeah. to talk about, like, just, like, the drama side of things, but there's also just entrepreneurs doing amazing mm-hmm. things. So maybe we can start incorporating that and highlighting them. For sure, for sure. So if y'all and need, like... Go ahead. I was saying there's Wurus. Of course there's Wurus, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually need to do like use Joko as a way to talk about my business, but I feel like that might be a conflict of interest. But if y'all ashy, if y'all need shea butter, face oil, baobab oil, I have a company that I run with my cousin in Senegal. It's called Wurus. Some of y'all already know what that's about. If not, follow us at Wurus underscore. Thanks. Thank you, Ida. <laughs> I owe you promo money. <laughs> I want twenty percent on all sales. <laughs> <laughs> Copy, got you. No, that it's it's definitely good to talk about. While there are there's so many negative things around in the world, there's also a lot of positive things. So we will do our best in future episodes to bring those up as they are relevant. And with that, we're gonna get into today's topic because Adam mentioned uh-huh. we have deviated a bit. So let's get back on track. Um, So today we're talking about rest and why it's important. And we're going to start off like we usually do in episodes where it's relevant to define the topic we're talking about. So in defining rest, um, Adam, what does that mean to you? What jumps out at you when you think about rest? So I think rest is, it can be different for, for every person, but the way I define it is when I take a pause or a break from a normal activity that brings me that that where I'm exerting myself so if I'm exerting myself emotionally physically mentally socially spiritually I'm exerting myself in those ways if I take a pause or a break from that that's rest so that might be just literally stopping 
and not doing that anymore. That's rest. Or it can be stopping and doing something else where I'm not exerting myself, but I have like a positive gain from it. So I might makes me feel happy or comfortable or excited. So there's two ways. So it can rest can be an action or it can be inaction. That's my definition. I like that. I like that because I think oftentimes we think rest has to be that inaction where you do nothing. And I think that's the traditional sense of rest that we talk about, that physical taking a break. But there could also be rest in pivoting from something that you were doing that is exerting effort, but was making you feel burned out or or heading towards burnout and going towards something else where you're still exerting energy, but the the feedback that you get from that activity is different. And that causes you to be more at peace and to enjoy the activity more. So that is, is a form of rest as well. I like that a lot. For me, when I think about rest, a big part of it comes to listening to your body. Um, we like to go, go, go. And I think we live in a, produ- in a society where product- productivity is high value. And I don't think that's ever going to change. But with the rise in mental health issues and also physical issues like body aches and like just the need for more ergonomics, especially for those of us who have desk jobs. I think that rest can mean I don't necessarily have to have a ton of work going on to feel burnout, but for some reason my body's telling me to pause and I'm just going to listen to what my body wants. And I feel like, again, because we're in a society where you're taught to have a lot of outcome or output and, and deliver results, it can feel like you are failing if you listen to your body and take a pause or take a break. But um, we're human beings at the end of the day. And sometimes you don't know why you feel the way that you feel. Like sometimes I'm tired and I haven't done anything that would cause me to be tired. But the fact remains that I'm tired. And so I think just being aware and conscious of the ebbs and flows of the human body and how you feel, even if you can't explain it, I think that's important. And that's an important aspect of rest that we should um, we should keep in mind. Mm-hmm. And I think what you just said is related. To, it shows that rest has, rest has multiple types. Like you mentioned how sometimes you feel tired, but you didn't do anything physically to feel tired. Maybe perhaps what's happening is you exerted yourself emotionally or you exerted yourself in another way that's non-physical, but the result of that non-physical labor is physical. So even like, for example, when you're, when you get in a conversation that drains you, you get a headache or maybe you just need to rest, lay down on, on a bed and like close your eyes. Or maybe you experience some trauma. Now you feel it physically. So people, I guess, tend to always focus on like things that you can feel or like, rest after like lifting something heavy where we need rest for a lot of things and like you said in the society that we're living in the more you exert yourself the more successful you're seen the more um valuable you're you're seen the more worthy you're seen unfortunately um and I think that's the reason why we made this episode is that there was a moment where we were able to like release episodes at a very constant pace and like do the things we said we were going to do for Joko and Joko is a thing that we do for fun 
Like no one is, we're not making no income out of this. We are not liable to anybody. I mean, held accountable to anybody. So we do this for us. But then it got to a point where life happens. We have other responsibilities. We get tired just like everyone else. And we decided, hmm, since y'all, you guys, the audience members aren't checking for us. And also we don't have the responsibility to tell y'all anything. (laughs) Not in a rude way, but like we, if we don't release an episode, like, you know, so we decided, like, okay, let's just come back when we're ready. And that that has allowed us to give you an episode like this, where we are, you know, this is like fun. Like, we're not exerting ourselves. It's an easy conversation that we're having. And we're talking about a topic that we just went through. So I think um, this episode itself really hits home for both of us, because all the things that we're talking about are things we've been doing in the past couple of months. Agreed. And I know I struggle with not feeling guilty when I feel like I need to deliver on a non-promise. <laughs> like you said, we don't, we didn't make a promise. Uh, we, we aim to get content out and, and have regular episodes and make sure that we're engaging with you all. But I think, one, there's a misconception that episodes are the only ways that we can connect with our audience. I think our Joko page is, our Joko Instagram page is a perfect example of how we're talking about different types of rest, but that's like different types of engagement. I love when people write us messages or they engage with posts that we make because for me, the mission of Joko is still going on when we're, even if an episode isn't out because of the feedback that we're getting on social media. So I think that's something that has helped me. Yeah, that's something that's helped me feel more at ease when we're don't when we're not having episodes at an, a regular interval, but I think the other part of it too is just not feeling guilty in general because things are out of your control. It's easy to feel like to feel guilty when you feel like you're not being as productive in certain areas of your life, and I, I would say Joko was one of those where I had to convince myself and get to a place of peace where if an episode wasn't going out, it wasn't because we didn't want to or or we. It, like you mentioned, it's just that life got busy and other things were going on. Like Joko is not the only thing going on in our lives. And that's okay. I think that's an important part of rest that we'll get to, especially when we talk about like solutions. We always talk about solutions in the outro, but being at peace with kind of how things are going and understanding that not everything is within your control. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think the guilty aspect is something you definitely have to overcome when you sort of want to achieve the rest that's, you know, ideal for the situation that you're in. Mm -hmm. What do you think about um, us growing up with parents who maybe had a different definition of rest or maybe their definition was more limited to the physical rest? And so how how do you think that might have impacted us before we came to a realization that rest means much more than what we thought it did? I think like a lot of things, um, how how you grow up and what you see in your household um, helps motivate how you see rest or whether or moments when you seek rest. Um, like growing up, of course, there's there's multiple facets to this. I think the first part, of course, is the um, the, the 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 different gender roles and what each gender role how each gender role views rest. Like growing up. My dad definitely got his rest after work. <laughs> like his, he would exert himself physically, 
emotionally, what have you, when he went up early in the morning, went to work. But when he got home, he was sitting on that couch watching his basketball tournament. And that was his form of rest because he, he really enjoyed that. Whereas my mom, because she's a woman, and this is like not unique to my family at all. My mom, even though she worked, would be cooking, cleaning. We would help her clean, of course, and things like that because that's her role as a woman. So like being a woman, like, and it's funny because it's, it's seen that as a woman, you're getting more rest because your husband is the primary breadwinner. So he's putting more money into the house. So the, the home activities that you're doing, oh, that's not real labor. So you should be fine. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling, but like, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is also, I think, the diaspora versus the homeland. Like, every time I would go back to Senegal for a vacation, I would just see how things move there. Like, everything's just moving much more slowly. You know, folks don't work the hours that we work here in the States. People go home. I remember that was one thing that was so crazy to me. People would go home for lunch and have lunch with their families. I'm like, you don't have that in the States. You could eat three meals outside of your house daily because of how we work here in the states craziness Mm -hmm. um the grind culture you know the double shifts that we have here in the states most of our family members don't work like that and some of them can afford to not work like that because we work like that and send money back home um so like rest was like hmm, different back home as it is here too and it's it's a lot of other stuff but i'll yeah those were like the things that stuck out to me the most Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back to the gender um, aspect of rest in our culture because I just remember growing up thinking like the saying, like you, a woman should just have a lot of energy and being tired was never part of the definition or the list of things that you were allowed to do because you were just supposed to go, go, go. And I think people, and even people here in the U.S., in general, I think now they're understanding like, okay, being a stay-at-home mom doesn't mean that you don't have anything to do or that you wouldn't be tired. So I think there's a much bigger appreciation for the housework that women who weren't working were doing and thus why they could be tired. Um, but I definitely saw that growing up too, where for the men going to work and coming home and resting, it was like very much physical, but I think it, there probably was a mental aspect of it too, just to decompress. But for the woman, I didn't really see uh, instances of rest where it was like as clear as for the men. Um, I, I'm trying to think now of examples, but it really isn't coming to mind because it just felt like their women were always doing something. So I don't. I think growing up seeing that, um, it made me that guilt aspect again will come in, come back because then you feel like, well, if I rest as a woman, then am I lazy? Like, if I don't wash my dishes right away, am I lazy? Or if I'm not, my house isn't top-notch all the time, does that mean that I'm less of a woman? Or, you know, it it just makes you think about stuff like that. And so, again, you have to come to peace with the fact that everyone is different. And sometimes the cultural uh, things that we inherit, inherit, uh, I cannot speak to that, inherit are not the most positive. So being able to have discernment and say, yep, I, this is something that I want to take on for myself, but this is something that growing up I saw, but I didn't think it was very positive. So I don't want to take that on and pass it along to the next generation. I think mm-hmm. that was important for me. 
Mm-hmm. I think the feeling guilt part here too in a situation is very important, like you said, because you might like not think anything of it, but then your auntie comes and says something to you, and you're like, mm. like like you said, like your 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 womanhood is is tied to to house labor. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. like how your house looks, um, whether your clothes are washed frequently, whether you can cook. There are some men who I've Senegalese men who I've seen said this out loud because I was like, just if you believe this, why would you say it out loud? But they would be like, you know, <laughs> I don't eat microwave food. Why would I be married and eat microwave food? Like I should be having a home cooked hot meal every day. And I'm like, OK, that's reasonable. But like, will your wife be working? Yes, she'll she'll work. She'll have a job. So then, you know, you know, this expectation that being a part of, being a wife, being a woman means that the house labor is yours and yours alone. It's something that we need to, I think, um, com- combat because it's just not reasonable in the time that we're living in. When women have full-time jobs, someone work more than 40 hours a week. Phys- they really don't even have time in a day to do these things. So if, okay. if, if men are working 40 hours a week and women are working 40 hours a week, and then you want women to work another eight hours a day doing housework. It all makes sense. Um, another guilty thing too about guilt is another thing is like for me, um, growing up, like going to university, um, doing internships, working in nonprofit in corporate America. There have been moments where it's been very difficult and I had no desire to continue. But I would always think about... Um, folks back in Senegal who want to come to the U.S. and don't have the opportunity to come here and pursue their dream. So I'm like, well, God blessed me with the opportunity to be born in this country. Why am I complaining? Um, why am my even not even with the people in Senegal, even too, but my parents themselves, I'm like, my parents are doing like um, hard work. They immigrated to the States. They made all of these sacrifices. Why am I complaining? Let me, you know, do this schooling. Let me follow the traditional path to get the job, that, that office job, and be quiet. Because that's what's going to make everyone happy. And I guess those sacrifices now would have made sense. So I've that's how I've been living my life. Been lots of stresses, moments of depression throughout the process. Just because I've been guilty of, you know other folks who ha- who don't have the opportunities that, that I had. If it was just up to me and none of that, I wouldn't have went to college. I would have done something more <laughs> creative with my with my time. Like I mentioned Wudus earlier, things like that. Like, Wudus brings me such happiness, but it's just like not reasonable for me given all of the expectations that are on me as the first daughter of my family, the eldest child of my family, first generation to just like because you be hearing stories on Instagram where people are like, I quit my corporate job to pursue my dreams. We don't do that over here. You don't quit that job. That is something that I dream of every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we're in similar situations. I'm the oldest girl in my family. And every day I just wonder what life would have looked like if I didn't conform to the societal expectation that you go to school finish, get a job, and then you work that job, and it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. Um, And I have an anecdote about that, actually. So my husband recently came to the U.S., and 
one day I was asking him like, so like, what are your passions? Like, what do you want to do? And he's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what kind of job would you like to have, you know, with your degree and stuff? And so he's like, it, it doesn't matter. I just want a job that is paying. And like the notion of liking or not liking your job is a luxury here and a privilege mm-hmm. in the U.S. And that doesn't make our experiences, I don't think, any less valuable or any less valid because that's what we're experiencing. You Like hard is hard for the person who's experiencing it. So I think it would be doing ourselves a disservice if we fell into that trap of, oh, I should just be grateful to have a job. While, yes, that is true. I'm always grateful to have my job. That doesn't mean I can't dream of having a more fulfilling job or something that would be less uh, limiting. And so I thought that was just funny when we have those conversations and I'm just like, I don't like my job. And he's probably looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, and a lot <laughs> exactly. of people probably know because I work from home, I have a great job. Like, why would I be complaining? But uh-huh. at the end of the day, the things that are going on inside your head and inside your heart, you know, it, it's hard to, it's complicated. It's really complicated. And so when you were speaking, it just resonated with me about that feeling of gratefulness I think you can be grateful for what you have and still be able to critically assess your situation. Of course. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of just what I wanted to add there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's very mutually, ex- is it mutually exclusive? Mm-hmm. I always get confused. Yeah. There. It's like that you can <laughs> be grateful and still, yeah, um, criticize something that, that you're dealing with. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think, too, that um, once you start to understand that your life isn't as directly connected to the lives of others as you think, I think it helps with a lot. Like, I have a job or I don't have a job. That directly does not give a visa to someone in Senegal. Whether I work or not is not going to affect someone in Senegal the way I think it does. So I think once we understand that, it helps a lot. It's easier said than done. Um, and also the people around us tend to reinforce these ideas that we're trying to get rid of from our head. So like when it's hard, you might call your parents and you'd be like, you know, school in America isn't so hard. At least you have um, chairs in your school. We didn't have chairs at our school <laughs> or like something like that. So you're just like, uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> There's no space to, to, confess or exactly to, to share your sentiments unless with your peers but I know like I, whenever I have any like when I had issues in school or whatever I would never tell my parents because they would just you know respond in that way like you know it's like that that's a hardship they would recognize it's a hardship but they would not see it as a real hardship that warrants the reaction that you have yes so they would compare yep. it something as like oh at least you have food to eat <laughs> or at least, you know, at least you, your parents are alive and you're like, oh, well, okay. And then you just, yeah. So then those acts of dismissal too, I think affects a lot of young people in our community. A hundred percent. My dad always gave like the shirt example, like having two shirts, you wash one, wear the other. Exactly. And, the other. <laughs> and I'm just like, I appreciate your experience. <laughs> <laughs> But it doesn't take away from what we're experiencing, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And remember, I, there was a time when I was just venting to an elder about just mm-hmm. how I was feeling, which sounds so crazy because they're like feelings, like what? And when I was done, they were just like, well, you, you know, life is hard and you just need to get on board with that. And that was a pep talk. 
And I was like, okay, well, thank you for mm-hmm. acknowledging, I guess, everything I've just said. But it's it's hard because I guess for them, what they've encountered might seem monumental compared to what we're going through. But of course, I'm just gonna reiterate, like it doesn't take away from the experiences that we have. Um, mm-hmm. And each each generation's experience is very different and very unique. So mm-hmm. while people might think we're so lucky, we're in the U.S. and we have everything we could possibly want, God doesn't give you everything. So there's always something that we're gonna mm-hmm. be chasing after. Exactly. So those definitions of what it means to exert yourself is completely misaligned with how we define it. Mm-hmm. And then because of that, how they define rest is different than how we define it. Like my parents, and I keep arguing with them about it, like like most parents, I think that they will not rest until they're 65 years old and retired. That's when they deserve rest. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you deserve rest way before that. You don't need to work so hard, build these things, and enjoy it when you're older in life. You can... There, you, there can be moments within your work and within labor where you enjoy yourself. And because of that, they see the things that we do now as wasteful, like taking a vacation or like going to the spa or like spending over $100 at dinner. They're like, why are you doing that? That money can go to building a house in Senegal. And then once you have your mm-hmm. house built, then you can rest. Yes. But I'm like, have, have you guys not seen examples of where that has failed? Have you not seen examples of your peers who have spent 30 years working in the country? and died in this country never to see their house in Senegal or went to Senegal and got sick. And now they're like, they have a chronic illness and they're in Senegal. And I don't wish that on anyone, but you see examples of that. Even with COVID-19, it showed it even more because we lost a lot of folks in our community. So that even, you know, threatened their definition of rest. So it's always been a battle trying to get my parents to rest and to understand that they deserve it. Um, And I don't think rest is something people deserve per se, so I I don't want to say that word. But I guess it's more like it's time for them to rest. And rest in the way that's different than how they've been seeing Mm-hmm. They're 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 a rest. So rest is not just sitting there and watching your favorite soccer game on TV. Rest is not <laughs> answering to those WhatsApp vocals or being a part of a WhatsApp group. Rest is seeing their families who they've been like living away from for for decades. Rest is living in the house they've built. Rest is so many other things that you know that they're putting off. Because they themselves think that is not time yet or they don't deserve it yet. And that's something I hope to to really get them to unlearn. And that I hope that our generation doesn't think is okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think um, what, when you were speaking, I thought back to when we were creating this podcast and we wanted to speak from the Senegalese American experience. And I think we're, we're coming up at a crossroads, Adam, where it's like, that Senegalese identity is proving to be the root of a lot of issues. And I don't mean that in a strictly negative way. It's just there's so many things, like you said, that we've learned and taken on that we have to unlearn if we want to live truly fulfilling lives. And I definitely don't mean that people in Senegal are not living fulfilling lives. But a lot, a common theme that's come up, at least in my head, as we talk about various topics is how sometimes that Senegalese experience is prohibitive 
and we're not able to to break and create boundaries like uh-huh. as adults today creating boundaries with our families is nearly impossible you, you you automatically feel indebted or you feel like a bad person and so i think a lot of that at least for me maybe i'll just speak for myself is a lot of that is coming from the fact that that senegalese identity in me is tugging and it's at war with sometimes i guess the reality of growing up in the u.s where i see other folks who maybe don't have to deal with some of the same things of course um so i don't know if what i'm saying is making sense but it, it just is like we we our senegalese identity is so ingrained in us and more so for our parents than us i think we're doing a better job of, of demystifying some things and letting certain like toxic habits go but it just keeps coming back up and i can't help but but think like would we be talking about rest in the way that we are today if we were Jamaicans or if we were mm-hmm. Haitians? Maybe we would. There That's why. Be- you just explain yeah. why this podcast exists because mm-hmm. our cultural identity really defines how we see the world, how we live in this world, how we interact with the world. So this perspective is a very extremely unique one. The way we're talking about it now, a Senegalese Italian might not even talk about the topics we talk about in this way or a Senegalese, Senegalese people are everywhere, Senegalese um, English person in the UK. So it's like we have a a very unique perspective because the diaspora in the United States, the Senegalese diaspora in the United States has a very unique connection to Senegal. The first people who came here, I believe, were like, I I guess my understanding is that the community really got big in the 80s. There were folks who came way before that, but in the 80s and 90s is when our community really started to develop in the States. And the community who came here, real their purpose was to make money and mm-hmm. go back home. When you ask any Senegalese person who's been here for over 30 years, did you anticipate being here for over 30 years? They were like, no. We Our goal was to work and go back home. And now people are 65 years old. Now for, folks are 70. If your main reason to migrate to a country is to work, where does rest fit into that narrative? How does it fit into it? Mm-hmm. And when you hear some of the stories, like like during Tabaski or Korite, like our Eids, when you when when my dad's friends come over, or my dad and my mom talk about the people who you know they lived with when they first came into the states and where they are now, you just you feel a pit in your stomach because you. See you see how much they've sacrificed for this goal of, you know, moving back home and how many haven't done that because they've been stuck in a cycle of um, building a home in Senegal or sending money back home to their parents or to their siblings or what have you. Never finding room to, to rest until it's too late. So it's a very yeah. sad, it's lots of sad stories. Some folks have, I don't know. The ones I've encountered, at least, that's their story. Yeah. And not to and say that, like, they had it all bad and we're doing better, because we're not too. <laughs> Our generation, too, has issues. And it's more, it's less rooted in that narrative of, you know, having to send money back home, having to either be the breadwinner of your family back home. It's different, because we have, because we're more, we have a stronger foot here in the U.S. Most of us are raised more American than Senegalese. And so so then, you know, American capitalism is our core struggle. 
and the you know and like we said before like productivity having to having our success tied to the types of jobs that we do and the amount of labor that we do so it's a different i don't know if i'm making i'm just talking let me shut up let me no, be you're, quiet. Making, you're making a lot of sense Adam. Yeah, let me and be quiet <laughs> everything you're saying i think it culminates to one thing for me where it's like i think our parents like you said they didn't have a plan of being here for 30 years and now they're coming to the realization that they're just as American as they are Senegalese, whether they want to admit it or not. Like, if you've been here half your life and the other half in Senegal, yes, maybe let's say your formative years were in Senegal, but also being an immigrant in a new country is very formative too. So I think what's happening is folks have to, and we have it in a different sense, but like, let's say our parents, they now have to come to the reality that maybe going back home that ideal image that they had of, of their home being finished and moving back and settling there isn't as idealistic as they thought because they've been here for so long. So mm-hmm. it would be really hard to integrate back in Senegalese society after having been here 30 years. And then for us, it's like we, we grapple with the fact that sometimes we want to move back home. Sometimes we feel like we couldn't. So we stay here and it's like, where do we truly belong? And I know we're talking about rest, but I think it all ties back because it's like these are the mental struggles that lead to the need for rest. And these are the conversations that we need to have about rest and about who we are and why all these things just bubble over sometimes. Um, So now I'm not making any sense, but I think in general, it's just about like, as like when we talk about our identity, it's not as clear cut as, oh, I'm Senegalese born in the U.S. and Therefore, my tie to Senegal isn't as strong. I don't think that that's a like a direct mm-hmm. correlation because our parents, arguably, who were born and raised in Senegal, maybe came here in their late twenties or early thirties, they're having the same struggle as we are. Exactly, that's a good point. And I think also another struggle I've seen is how young people, maybe people in our generation too. Um, are doing are doing too much rest and la- not rest what it is not rest as it's defined but rest as it's sold if that makes sense because they try mm-hmm. capitalism tries to sell us rest and they sell us rest through vacation packages they sell us rest through spa packages they sell us rest through all of these gadgets and products that if you buy them you will you know engage in self-care or rest. So I'm talking about that type of rest. So lots of folks I've seen are doing too much of that to the point where they're not really resting. (laughs) They're exerting themselves physically and financially. For example, if you're making 30K a year, and this is like a young person, like, you know, because when you're you're young, you're probably having a, a side hustle or a side job to help you if you know your basic expenses you're not paying rent you're not thinking just so that you can have money in your pocket so let's say you're making 30k you're at every birthday dinner you're at tulum every weekend you're buying all of these brand name bags because you're being fed these images on social media with people who are getting it for free people need to forget that all of these influencers yeah. all of these celebrities 
don't spend a dime on these things. So then, <coughs> excuse me. So you're, you're 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 spending your money on a definition of rest that has been manufactured and sold to you. So the vacation is fun. Those photos are beautiful with those items you've bought, but now you're in debt. Or now you're tired because you're trying to balance work and fun time. So I think that's one thing. And this is not, maybe this is, adults are doing this too, but I think us in general need to be aware of this. Be aware of like how we define rest. That was the exercise we did at the very beginning. What is rest for you? And I said that is not the same. How I define rest is completely different than how you define it. Ida is different for how someone else defines it. How do you define it? Write it down. This is my homework. Write it down before you forget it. Because it's so easy to forget how you define rest if you go on Instagram. You're going to go on Instagram and forget how you define rest because it did a very good job of showing you an Instagram reel where you're like, ooh, if I buy that bag, my stomach won't hurt anymore. Or if I go to this restaurant, I won't be sad anymore. This is what I need. But is it really what you need? And can you afford it? Like we talked about in that scenario. Can you afford it? <laughs> yep. So I think um, financial rest needs to be part of the discussion. Because that was a many, that was a, I think that also relates to our parents, too, definition of rest. And why they always chastise us for the things that we do. They're like, oh, that's so expensive. Why are you doing all of these things? Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say don't do these things. But don't do it to the point where now you're in financial debt and then that financial debt is causing you extra stress. Where that oh. financial debt is preventing you from, you know, doing what you got to do. Yeah. And one thing... I mean, it's been said before and it will continue to be said, social media is not real. It's very much curated. Whole lineup. Yes. And the things that you search for and look up are the types of content that you're going to be fed again and again. So one example I have is like, um, like this new, like reels now, when you see someone make a reel about self-care and they're filming themselves you know, shaving their legs and applying the shave butter and taking a shower and lighting a candle. Like that person for the video, it looks nice when it's done, but they probably, unless they were like strictly doing those things just for the video, but if the intent was to enjoy themselves, they spent so much time trying to capture that content and then so much time afterwards editing it just to get it out on the platform for others to see it and, and feel like, oh, this is a 30-second video about rest. I can also achieve that same thing. So I think we just have to be mindful of, one, the reason why people are posting content. Like you said, some of these influencers, like this is their job. So they, like, they, they have nothing to lose in the sense that if they spend all day making videos, that's what they get paid for. But as us as the consumers, we just need to be able to identify what is contributing to our burnout or potential burnout and what is actually considered rest. Like if you're scrolling on Instagram for hours and hours and you walk away feeling exhausted, then that was not a restful activity. Even though like physically you were just on your phone, but the type of content you were consuming, the effect that it was having on you, the pressure that it's going to put on you after you're scrolling through all that content to adjust your life to better fit that. 
it's it's like you, you just need to be able to take that step back and understand how social media is impacting us. And it's not easy to do, but that goes back to the definition of rest, like is sitting down on Instagram or any social media platform and scrolling, is that giving you energy? Are you recharging from that? Or is it actually doing the opposite and you're just not realizing it? And so you end up in a much worse situation than you were. So social media is an interesting one when it comes to rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think everything is in moderation, like you said. Like social media can be a form of rest. It maybe that's a place where you 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 find community, or a place where you consume content that makes you feel good and excited and hopeful. But like you said, if you do it, if you're on it for too long, there's 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 negative effects. I think also one more thing I wanted to say too is like how we tend to see rest as an individual activity. Like you're by yourself doing whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you comfortable, whatever pause break that you need to do. Yes, I agree with that vision of rest, but I also think it can be a collective activity. So you can be with your loved ones people you feel comfortable around and exercise rest but not in the way that it's been sold to us so not in a birthday dinner it can be in a birthday dinner if you know all of those requirements of rest are met that you hold dear to yourself but it can exist in other ways um and i encourage people to be very creative in how they engage in collective rest to be very mindful of who they involve in those moments um and to curate the experience together so don't just like invite your friends and be like hey let's all do this and this is like how i define rest we're all going to engage and but sit around and talk and be like well where is everyone at what does everyone need how can we you know meet those needs together um and I say these things and I don't do these things. But as I speak, I'm like, hmm, maybe I should do this in my life. So maybe I will take take this advice um, after this episode. But I just want people to know that sometimes you don't have to do things alone. I like that because as someone who considers herself kind of an introvert, I always assume that I have to be by myself to recharge and mm-hmm. do it on my own. But I agree there are settings where you are not by yourself and you can walk away feeling like you got some rest. So thank you for that bit, Adam. Yeah. Any other topics? I think right now that was a good seg it's a good segue into our outro, unless you have any other yeah, I agree. I think we've touched on probably everything we we've discussed in the prep for the episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So outro like we usually do is just solutions to the topic we've discussed so like that was one solution i just said i think other solutions is to just keep a journal and i think i hear a lot of therapists say this i've seen folks be put on to this but i think for me personally why a journal is important is that sometimes it's very easy to forget what you believe in what you stand for what you want what you feel based on all of these external influences if people are constantly in your ear telling you something, if you're constantly seeing something, it's so easy to think that's what you need or what you feel at the time. Whereas a journal is written on paper, whether you remember it or not, if it's your handwriting, you know, hey, I wrote this at one point in time. 
And it also is a way to keep track of progress over time. Like, oh, on June 15th, 2021, I was feeling this way. And this is how I reacted. It's been a year or two later. I have the same feeling. But look at this growth. Or maybe look at how I've gone backwards. So I think journaling is is key in anybody's like rest journey. Um, I think having the conversation that me and Ida are having now is also very important. Just understanding, okay, um, how other people view rest, how other people can support your need and, and show up for you so that there's no miscommunication like that birthday dinner we talked about in the beginning. Um, yeah, those are my two. Do you have any yeah. idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I'm a big advocate of sleep. I think your body does wonders when you sleep and actually get that physical rest. So this is tied to the physical rest, but I think it's so, so, so important because it can truly determine kind of how you start your day if you get a good night's sleep. And then also take naps. I think it sounds so trivial, but we live in a world where, again, it's so much based on productivity and you go, 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 and you work eight hours a day after work, you figure out what you're going to do for dinner. God forbid you have homework because you're taking night class. Like there's just so much going on. So it's important to take that time to give your brain a break by taking, you know, sleep and naps and making that a priority in your life. So getting high quality sleep and napping throughout the day. So this goes back to listening to your body. Sometimes I, have no reason why I'm tired during the day, but if you are, you know, a 20 minute power nap can do you some good. So that uh-huh. that's one of my biggest solutions is like, listen to your body. Exactly. If you have a headache in the middle of the workday, you need to step away from whatever you're doing. And I know that not everybody has the luxury to do that, but where possible, you definitely need to pinpoint those actions and steps that you can take to make yourself feel better. Because at the end of the day, you come first, and that job is not more important than your health. Um, and then the other thing is tied to our devil's advocate. And I, you, you touched on it too, Adam, but it's like learning to say no. That's been so hard because it's part of setting boundaries, especially like as we get older. But mm-hmm. really just being able to say no when appropriate and not feel too guilty. I think it's it's okay to feel like, oh, I wish I didn't have to say no. Like, I think that's a normal sentiment to have, but I also don't think it's, um, it's not normal to feel obligated to do something if you truly can't do it, or even if you could do it, the aftermath of it would be catastrophic. So I think learning to say no, even if it's something small, like, hey, no, I don't want to hang out today. That sounds bad, but you know, it's like, Sometimes we just have to set those boundaries for our personal well-being. And as adults, hopefully, when you do set those boundaries, it doesn't impact the relationship in a negative way. And the other person on the receiving end can just appreciate that for what it is. I agree. All good stuff. Mm-hmm. I encourage all of our listeners to seek rest. And maybe in the ways that we've outlined in this episode or in ways that you've created for yourself and share that with us. Um, Maybe listening to this episode is a break in your day in a form of rest. And if that's the case, (laughs) we're happy for you. (laughs) 